If you have your Bibles this morning, would you open them to the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 13 is where we continue to turn our attention this morning. Just a few verses of Scripture, verse 18 down through verse 21. If you kept up with any of the news this week, you have probably heard something of the, the G20 summit in Osaka, Japan. A gathering of some of the, the larger economies as far as nations is concerned. Uh, they'll gather together and they will seek to discuss economic cooperation back and forth with one another. And so within the news we see all sorts of things about the various nations, about the various countries and all of these things. And of course we're reminded as well that uh, this coming week we will be celebrating the birth of our nation. Uh, the beginning of the United States of America. And so there's a focus upon nations, a focus upon kingdoms, if you will, kingdoms of this world. But as Christians, we're focused on a different kind of kingdom. For us, the focus is on the kingdom of God. That's ultimately where our, our residence resides. We are people of the kingdom of God. We have a dual citizenship, if you will. We are, are ultimately citizens of the kingdom of God. While we reside, and for a temporary amount of time, we are citizens of the nation in which we live upon this earth. But for the focus of Christians, it has always been the case that our main uh, agenda, our focus is to be upon us as being citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus talks about in, in, in Luke chapter 13. He begins to address again this notion of the kingdom of God in our text today. This kingdom was a consistent theme of the preaching and the teaching of Jesus. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, we're told that this is how Jesus began his teaching ministry. In Mark chapter 1, we read that after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And so he begins with this message that we are to... We are to embrace and we are to become citizens of the kingdom of God. How do we do that? We repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, a passage we looked at uh, several months ago, we read that soon afterward Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount. We read about that as well. Luke chapter 6, we read that he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. After Jesus had been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered in a very powerful way to them. These Pharisees, the religious leaders, and Jesus has obviously been consistently teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And so they say, all right, when is this kingdom coming? Because you have to remember these religious leaders and most of the Jews in the time of Jesus were looking for an earthly kingdom. 
They were looking for an earthly Messiah, a political ruler, if you will. And so they were looking for one who would establish this kingdom, overthrow the Roman government of who they were uh, basically being oppressed by. And they wanted to know, when is this kingdom coming? And Jesus, we read in Luke chapter 17, says, uh, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, before behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. There's an emphasis upon the kingdom of God. But what is this kingdom of God about which we read? What marks it as being different than any other kingdom or any other nationality? Well, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus begins to give us just an idea of what the kingdom of God is like. Luke chapter 13, let's look at verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? This is one of those parable things that Jesus uses, these teaching tools that Jesus brings out frequently. He says, to what shall I compare it? Verse 19, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The kingdom of God refers to the reign of God, the rule of God, especially in the hearts and lives of those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And in this parable that Jesus gives, he compares this kingdom to two very different items, one having an external focus and one having an internal focus. And so that's how we're going to break down the text this morning. Verse 18, verse 19, we see the external impact of the kingdom of God. And then verses 20 and 21, the internal impact of the kingdom of God. So let's look at it together with one another this morning. First of all, the external impact of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, again in verse 18, he said, therefore. Now, you know the rule of biblical interpretation, right? You've heard it a million times from preachers all your life if you've grown up in church. You've heard them say this. Anytime you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's it there for? Exactly. And it always points back to something that has previously happened. So Jesus is making a connection here. He says, this teaching I'm about to give you is, to, is connected to what has just previously happened. Now, if you were able to be with us last week, you remember that there was an amazing miracle that took place in the ministry of Jesus. He is teaching in the synagogue, and as he is teaching, there is a woman that comes into the synagogue after the teaching time has already begun, and she is bent over, stooped, unable to stand up straight. And Jesus just simply speaks a word to her and touches her, and immediately after 18 years of being in this condition, she is healed and she is set free from the bondage in which she has been living. 
Now, when that happens, of course, she begins to praise God. You can understand that. If you've been stooped over for 18 years, unable to write yourself, unable to look people in the eye, unable to converse with people in a comfortable manner, you can understand that she would be praising Jesus for what he has done, that she would be glorifying God for what has taken place. But there was another one of those religious leaders who was there that never let a good miracle go without condemning it in some way. And here this religious leader, this ruler of the synagogue comes in and he turns to the people and he says, you ought not be doing this on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is not a day for healing. It's a day for rest. And of course, Jesus condemns the condemnation from this man. And he says, you have more compassion on your farm animals than you do on people who are in distress and in bondage. You're a hypocrite when you do that. And then Jesus gives this parable of the kingdom of God. You say, what in the world does this teaching on the kingdom of God have to do with what has taken place previously in this amazing miracle? I believe that Jesus is speaking into this situation. And there are those who are criticizing, those who are condemning what he is up to and the change that he's bringing in people's lives. And I think that Jesus is saying to his disciples within this, do not be discouraged by their response. The immediate assessment of your contemporaries is not an adequate indicator of the effectiveness of God's kingdom or its impact on a person's life. They come along and they criticize, they condemn, they put down what God is doing, and Jesus says, do not be discouraged by that because the kingdom of God is making inroads into the hearts and lives of people. Now, that's a reaction that we deal with in today's world as well. We, we have, we have uh, a surrounding us. You can read the surveys. You can, you can read a Barnes surveys or Gallup surveys or Pew Research Center, and they'll all come up with the same kind of things. There are those who have been to church, those who have tried it, and those who have rejected it. They ask them why. Why, why are you no longer involved in the life and the ministry of the church? You can probably conjecture what their initial response is. The number one reason. You could probably state what it is for them. You've heard it given many times. Chances are you've said it yourself. I dare say there's not a young person in this place that has not, at some point, just like I did, given the same excuse when I was young. Well, it's boring. That's what people say. It's, it's boring. It's irrelevant to my life. I used to say the same thing when I was a teenager because I had a teenager brain. My brain wasn't skewed into the things of God like it should be. So many people say that today. Well, I got out of church because it's just boring. You know how the church has reacted to that so often? What we have tried to do is we've tried to step back and say, well, what we need to do is we need to repackage all of this. We need to reshape all of this. We need to remold all of this so that now it is relevant and now it's no longer boring. And people say, I don't, want to, I don't really care what the Bible has to say. I need something to tell me how to strengthen my marriage. I need something to tell me how to be better at financial management. I need all of these things together. And yet we fail to realize that it is the Word of God that brings changes to lives that impacts every Every area of our life, including our marriage, including our finances, including our relationships, including our friendships, including everything else that we do. 
What's happened so often is within the church, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Let's repackage all of this to make it relevant, to make it no longer boring. And that's the temptation that we face. Either we're going to change the message to make it more palatable, more attractive to the world, or we have this temptation to change the method, which ends up changing the message as well. There's a reason we do what we do the way we do it here. There's a reason that there's an emphasis upon prayer with one another. There's an emphasis, uh, there's a reason there's an emphasis on singing songs that glorify God and focus upon what He has done rather than upon who we are and how good and kind and gracious we are to others. The focus is upon God. There's a reason that we come to proclaim the Word of God week in and week out because, friends, you you don't need to hear from me how to be a better parent. My kids can tell you I need to learn the lesson from someone else, I'm sure. So why would I stand here and pretend to tell you here's how to do it when I have the authority of God that I can bring to you and say this is what God says, let's live in it and let's follow it. Jesus says this, this is what's relevant. People will condemn, people will criticize, people will put down the simple things that Jesus does in changing lives. So this is relevant to us today. He says the kingdom of God is like a little tiny mustard seed. One of the tiniest seeds known, especially in this agrarian society of the, of the producing seeds, people would use it, obviously, for mustard. And seasoning, and he says, Look at this little mustard seed. It is tiny, and yet it produces this, this big tree. It's, it's almost a bush like tree, and it can grow to be as much as 15 feet in height. It's big enough, Jesus says, for the birds to nest in, not just to fly by and rest, but to build a nest, security and safety. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, do not despise the small things. This, this tiny mustard seed grows into something that is productive and something that's beneficial. Do not despise those small things. Do not judge God's kingdom by its immediate reception. I've shared with you a precious, Precious lady that I knew for years, Lucille Johnson. Lucille Johnson came to faith in Jesus when, when she was older. The, you know, most people become believers when they're young people, uh, children, teenagers. Uh, Lucille came when she was nearing retirement age. Her husband was not a believer. And Lucille prayed every single day that God would say, her husband. I remember seeing her in Sunday mornings when the gospel was proclaimed and she would be weeping as she was praying that God would save her husband, Sam. For 18 years, she prayed that God would save her husband. And I remember asking her one day, Lucille, does it, does it ever get discouraging? Do you ever just step back and say, what's, what's the point? I've prayed consistently year after year for, for decades now. Nothing's happened. And she said to me, I'll never forget this. She said, why? As long as I have breath or Sam has breath, I will not cease praying for his salvation. 
little, little thing of a godly wife praying for her husband to get saved. After 18 years, he confessed faith in Christ. About six years after that, her daughter and son-in-law with two teenage daughters came to my house. And they said, right, Lucille hasn't just been praying for Sam. She's been praying for all of us to come to faith in Christ. And it's time. We need to confess faith in Christ. The whole family got saved. And it was the hardest thing in the world for me. They said, listen, we don't want you to tell Lucille yet. We want to wait until Sunday morning when the response is given. And we want to come meet you there. And I was, I, I was so excited. It was the shortest sermon I've ever preached. I <laughs> do not get any ideas from that. Because I'll know what you're up to if you do this, man. And I, I was preaching and I was just waiting. I was just, oh, this is so exciting. And I was given the response. And I could see Lucille in her posture that she maintained every Sunday during the time of response. She, she, she was sitting there. Her arms were like this. Her head was bowed and her eyes were closed. I thought, no, 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 not today, Lucille. Please don't close your eyes. And she was standing there like this, praying for her family to get saved. They all came forward. And I heard a couple of people in the congregation gasp. <gasps> Give it that. And then all of a sudden, as she's praying, Miss Lucille just looks up. And she sees her family there and she just collapses into her seat in tears. The little things that we may say, I do not see results from this. Understand, God is up to something. God is up to something. And Jesus is saying to the people, it's like that tiny mustard seed. You plant it in the ground, and it doesn't immediately become this big tree. It takes time. And then it grows, and it produces this massive tree where the, the birds of the air are able to nest within it. This is what Jesus is saying to us. The kingdom of God is like this tiny seed that this man sowed into his garden. Think about this. Think about the expanse, the external impact of the kingdom of God. Jesus, in his ministry, had 12 apostles. One of those 12 closest followers was a traitor, so he really had 11 apostles. When you come to his crucifixion, all of them are scattered, of course, on the day of Pentecost, 40 days after his resurrection, there are only 120 disciples, followers of Jesus. 120. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God brings conviction and over 3,000 people are saved in one day. I love the way the old Anglican J.C. Ryle put it. He said, Christianity is a religion which at first seems so feeble and helpless and powerless that it could not live. Its first founder was one who was poor in this world, and he ended his life by dying the death of a malefactor on the cross. Its first adherents were a little company whose number probably did not exceed a thousand when the Lord Jesus left this world. 
Its first preachers were a few fishermen and publicans who were most of them unlearned and ignorant men. Its first starting point was a despised corner of the earth called Judea, a petty tributary province of the vast empire of Rome. Its first doctrine was eminently calculated to call forth the enmity of the natural heart. Christ crucified was to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Its first movements brought down on its friends persecution from all quarters. Pharisees, Sadducees, Jews, and Gentiles, ignorant idolaters, and self-conceited philosophers all agreed in hating and opposing Christianity. It was everywhere spoken against. These are no empty assertions. They are simple historical facts which no one can deny. If ever there was a religion that was a little grain of seed in its beginnings, that religion was the gospel. But the progress of the gospel is great and steady and continuous. And how did it happen? How did this growth take place? Well, it took place when one person takes this mustard seed and sows it in the garden. How does it grow? It grows with the seed that is sown. In Luke chapter 8, verse 4, we read, When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus said this in a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. He continues to give what happens to seed that falls in thorny ground, seed that is, is watered and in well-nourished soil. And then he says, now the parable is this. This seed is the word of God. That's the seed that's sown. That's how the gospel grows. It grows by the simple sowing of the message of the gospel. And look at the impact that it's had today. Jesus started with a letter grew to 120. By the time he ascended to heaven, it was 500 to 1,000 people. Now statistics tell us there are nearly 2 billion followers of Christ in this world. Why? Because there's a multiplying effect. The impact of the kingdom's message of the gospel upon people. There, there is a reason. Here at Boom Trail, we have, we have three groups that we emphasize. Our learn groups are our Sunday morning groups, small groups gathering together to learn about the faith and defending the faith. We have our live groups where we meet in homes and we, we discuss the things of God and we live life together with one another, uh, providing accountability, providing help, ministry, support to one another. And then we have our lead groups. And our lead groups are small groups of people that meet all around Johnson City at various times in various places to simply commit to memory the Word of God, to discussing what it means together with one another, to pray for one another, to hold one another accountable in life. And there's a reason that we do this the way we do it. A lot of it is found right here in the sowing of the seed. You see, if you, if you take a group that has just three people, and, and you have three people in a year's time growing as disciples of Christ, and then each of those three people, they step out, and, and they lead a group as well. In year two, you have six 
growing disciples of Christ. Not much, but it's something. Year three, you get to 12 people growing in their discipleship. Year four, you get to 24 people growing in discipleship and becoming more and more like Christ. By year five, you get 48 and on and on it goes until after 20 years, you have one and a half million people being discipled with the message of the gospel. That's just one influence. That's just one person sowing the seed, and you see the multiplying effect of it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The external impact of the kingdom of God. Be faithful in sowing the seed of God's word to those around you. We, one of the things that is, well, I can't, it's, it's genius, but it's disgusting into what it's become is that every four years we go through this blasted presidential cycle. It is the most nauseatingly draining thing in the world to listen to people and to see people in this nation that will pin all of their hopes for us as a nation on a leader or a party. You do understand that that is not how God is going to change this world, don't you? He doesn't do it that way. I'm not saying don't be involved in the process. You be as involved as you want to be in the process under the guidelines and the scripture that is given to us. You be as involved as you want to in the process. But understand, our hope is not in that kind of process. Our hope is in the seed of the word of God faithfully sown to people around us. I just tell you, if we can get people half as excited about Jesus as we can get them excited about whether they're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, I think we would begin to make an impact upon this nation. Are you sowing the seed of the Word of God? I mean, are, are you intentionally, with those around you, sowing the seed of the Word of God? You know the problem that we as Christians have? The problem with, that we as Christians have is we love our holy huddles and we stay in our holy huddles. We don't know people who don't belong to Christ. We're, we're not around them. We don't see them. We don't talk to them. Well, let's find a way to do that. Let's find a way to branch out into this world, sowing the seed of the gospel and seeing the expanse that comes from it. There's an external impact of the kingdom of God, but then also there is an internal impact of the kingdom of God as well. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, Jesus says. In Luke chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It's like leaven. A woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The, the terminology, three measures, the, the weight of this, the measurement of this. She, she had about 50 pounds of flour. Now, I don't know what kind of party she was preparing for, but she had a lot of flour. And she puts just a little bit of leaven. You know what happens if you don't have leaven in it, right? You, you've got cracker. That's what you end up with. If you put too much leaven into it, you know what happens, right? Takes over your kitchen. Goes everywhere. 
because it has an impact. Just a little bit of leaven, this, this yeast that works its way into this lump of dough and causes it to rise so that it's beneficial. You see, Jesus is talking about the internal impact now. We see the external impact and how we are called to take the message of the gospel to impact those around us, our communities, our societies, our nations, the world, with the message of the gospel. But you cannot look just out there. We must look in here as well. That's where the leaven comes in. It reaches into your life and it impacts everything, personally, individually. I was reading a book this week and the author shared in the book a question that his brother had asked him. And, and he made the comment, he said, my brother is not really a deep thinker, so it kind of surprised me that he asked the question, but it was just a curiosity question for him. He, he said, Drew, are you spiritually different today than you were 20 years ago? I said, well, yeah, yeah, of course I am. I mean, in 20 years' time, I went to seminary. I've, I've written books. I've studied it. No, no, no. I'm not asking if you know more about it. I'm asking if you are spiritually different today from where you were 20 years ago. That's the impact of the kingdom of God internally. The leaven that reaches into every part of our being. I'm not asking you if you're perfect. None of us is perfect. So let's just get that silly notion out of our heads now. But what I'm asking is, has the kingdom of God and the understanding of the scriptures affected your life personally, individually? Not do you know more about it, or have you been to church more, or are you involved in more activities, but is it changing your life? That's what Jesus is talking about. This, this woman puts this leaven in these measures of flour and it's all leaven because it permeates and it grows throughout the entire <laughs> That's what the kingdom of God does. When someone professes faith in Christ and comes to his grace by faith, a process begins whereby the kingdom of God saturates and changes everything. So if, if you look back and you say, you know what, spiritually, I'm no different than I was 20 years ago, there may be a problem. There may be something to investigate within your life. About 10 years ago, about five years ago, about last year, Has the kingdom of God and the seed of the gospel impacted your life? You see, this, this is where society changes. Lives that are changed one after another. If you ever get a chance to read a biography of William Wilberforce, you should avail yourself of the opportunity. He led the abolition movement in England, the slave trade. He worked tirelessly for years 
to abolish slavery in the British Isles. And he did it as a result of his Christian convictions. He did it because he read the gospel, and the gospel had so permeated his life that he said, this is antithetical to the gospel message I believe. As a result of his and others' tireless work, slave trade was abolished, eventually impacting our nation as well. Because of the internal impact of the kingdom of God, what changes come in your life as a result of what Christ has done? Externally, we see the kingdom of God growing through the giving of the message of the gospel. That's why it's incumbent upon us to share Jesus with those around us, that they might be brought into the kingdom, all the while relying upon the internal impact of the kingdom within our lives, individually and personally. What impact has the gospel made on your life? And what impact are you making in this world as a result of that? Father, this morning we thank you. We thank you for your word given to us. We thank you for the, the, the clarity of your word. We thank you for the life-transforming power of your gospel. Father, I pray today for each of us in this internal aspect of the impact of your kingdom. I pray today for those who are, are held in bondage to, to bitterness, to greed, to lust, to, to whatever the, the grip may be within their lives. And I pray, Father, that you would open their eyes today that they might see Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life so that they might be set free and they might become residents of the kingdom of God. And Father, I pray that as we grow internally through the work of your spirit, that we would rely upon that same spirit as we go out and share the gospel, the seed of the word, that your kingdom might continue. Father, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name.